BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi everyone, my name is Jack Rico and welcome to episode 77 of Highly Relevant. We are a U.S. Latino podcast examining how Hispanics are influencing and reshaping mainstream entertainment in the United States. Well, glad you guys are here. It's Upfront's week in New York City and all the TV networks, as well as the digital brands, they're making their annual pitches to sponsors, all with the intention of obtaining millions of dollars to advertise on their programming. So for the purposes of this podcast, we're just going to focus on Univision and Telemundo. And I have my good friend, Laura Martinez. She's a bilingual journalist and blogger who's been covering the upfronts for Hispanic media for about 15 years. And she helps me offer some insight into how both companies are trying to adapt to the demographic growth of U.S. born Latinos like myself. And if we're ready for English language novellas and why the next CEO of either network needs to be a woman. Then finally, Mike Sargent joins me to review Deadpool 2 and why he thinks it's better than the original, from its diversity down to its humor. Stick with us. This is the Highly Relevant Podcast. And I welcome to the show now to discuss the Univision and Telemundo upfronts is Laura Martinez. She's a good friend and she's also an influential bilingual journalist who's been covering the business beat in Latin America and the U.S. Hispanic market for over 20 years through her blog, Mi Blog Es Tu Blog. She's also currently an editor with CNET and CNET en Español. Welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast, Laura. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good. So a lot of people that I know that know you, Laura, know you because of your blog, Mi Blog Es Tu Blog. So let's talk a little bit about that before we get into the upfronts on Univision and Telemundo. When did you start the blog and why did you start it? Oh man, my blog is already, I think it turned 10 years. And I started, um, I used to run a magazine. It was very challenging because it was covering the Hispanic market in English uh, for, a, for a, an English speaking audience. But it was trying to explain the Latino market to a lot of people who, even though they were in the business, they don't really understand the the market or the language, right? So there was a, there was a section at the very back of that magazine. It was called Latina, but Latina as in a as in a, a game of of words, you know, Latina as in the bathtub. Oh, but it sounds like Latina. <laughs> so That's yes, great. one okay. of my friends did this great logo. So it was a little a little bathtub with bubbles. And this was like the, the last page of the magazine. And it's when, you know, besides talking business and advertising and dollars and all that, that was the end of the magazine and that's where you had fun. So this is the part that we had the most fun. You know, we were like critiquing ads, badly written Spanish stuff, or just like plain silly things by um, mainstream companies trying to target Latinos. So this section, you know, when my magazine shut down, because our company, this is another story where our company was bought by VN, uh, VNU, sold it to Nielsen. Uh, what happened there is like, okay, so the magazine is shutting down, and I actually tried to buy the rights of Latina, of that little property, mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to start my own thing. I didn't really have a very clear what I wanted to do. But then it didn't happen, and the logo, in the end, they released the logo because it, it belonged to a friend of mine. So I said, okay, so you know what? I'm not going to do a magazine. I'm not going to do a Tina. 
I'm just going to put everything on my blog. And this is how it started. It literally started when the magazine shut down. And the world and the world has changed in the last 10 years. So I imagine oh, all that evolution of the original concept for Latina uh, must have been also very instrumental in your blog. When did you start noticing that people became aware of your blog? I would say that when I... Okay, the date, and I laugh, right? And it's actually not funny, but this was March 2008. And the reason why I remember this very well, it was because I was in Mexico City and my mother was literally dying. She was, she was, dying, in a, she was dying in a hospital bed in the middle of Mexico City. And, you know, we were taking turns to be with her. We, we knew that, that she was going to be gone pretty soon. So I was, you know, just there sitting with her, talking to her. She, she has an amazing sense of humor. So we would laugh all the way towards the end. And then I was browsing a magazine, you know, just like one of these celebrity magazines in Mexico. And I think it was a magazine was called Quien. Imagine a kind of hola, a kind of, you know, celebrity, bodas, famous telenovela people. So I'm browsing the magazine and my mom is lying down, you know, just there. And then I see an ad, it's like a print, a one-page ad of Absolute Vodka. And the ad, it just had a map of Mexico, but it was a map of Mexico, the way Mexico looked before the Mexican-American War. So, so Mexico was really big, right? Mm-hmm. It was before losing a bunch of states. Right. And, and the ad just said, in an absolute world, right? So meaning like, in an absolute world or in a perfect world, Mexico would look like that. That's mm-hmm. all it said. Right. So I tore it. I remember I tore the ad and I put it in my pocket thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this on my blog because my blog was around for years already. And then, and then in the middle of all this, my mom dies. She dies on March 20th, 2008. And, you know, it got, it got ugly and then it got, Busy, you have to do what you have to do. So I was in Mexico after a couple of weeks, came back to New York, and I looked through my purse and I found the ad. Mm. And then I took a picture of the ad and I put it on my blog. And oh my God, it exploded, but exploded in a bad way, you know? Because all I said about the ad was in a perfect world. Um, Mexico wouldn't have lost its, its territory to the U.S. And in a perfect world, in an absolute world, I wouldn't have lost my mom to cancer. Literally, that's all I said. That's pretty powerful. I was not in, I was not, I would have been funny, you know, that I'm always trying to be funny or witty or whatever. I was not funny. I was not, I was actually just saying that, you know, I found the ad, I said, in an absolute world, whatever, all these things that I told you. And then, I don't know, it was picked up by the, mob of Mexican hating people and it just it just blew up it was it was incredible I mean there was the comments were they were okay at the beginning but they got really really hateful so all these hates and all these um horrible comments and that's when I started I actually started to include a section called going back to Mexico because I have never had so many people asking me to go back to Mexico so that's kind of the story of my blog. And then at that moment, I realized that, you know, as a blogger, you can be very powerful in, in many ways. I mean, in, in, in making people aware of certain things or as I was doing before, you know, this is, this is a commercial for X and X brand. It's stupid because it depicts Latinos in a way that it's just not true or it's, or it's silly or it's racist. This is what my blog was doing all the time. So when the absolute uh, ad happened, I mean, it was a, it was a revolution, really. Absolute vodka. The, I mean, I don't know the owners of the of the brand ended up apologizing and ended up taking the ad down. And um, I remember thinking, wow. I mean, you know, as a blogger, you, you I mean, as a journalist, of, of course, but you have a big responsibility, you know, what you say and what you don't say. So, um, I mean, the post is still there and it, I think it's still the most 
popular post in terms of visits and comments. All right, so I got to check it out. Uh, I definitely got to check it out. <laughs> um, do that. And talking a little bit about the upfronts, I had a chance to see both the Univision and the Telemundo one. And for those people that don't know what upfronts is, upfronts are when television networks present their programming slate uh, to advertisers to see if they can put money on them. But I think it serves a deeper purpose. I think upfronts is more like a temperature, like a thermometer, like a barometer to a certain extent of how well the company is doing or what situations it's going through and it gives people a sense of the mindset of where the company is headed to are they being innovative are they are they stuck in the past are they just stuck and for me both companies are a bit of both from what they presented in the programming they still have that abuelita programming you know shows uh but then they have some more artistic and more cinematic offerings Nevertheless, I wanted to kind of get your temperature on both companies. What were the key takeaways from you from the, the Univision and the Telemundo upfronts? Telemundo was different because I think Telemundo, um, yeah, what Telemundo is doing, I mean, in my opinion, I think the best thing they are doing, and it was shown very clearly in this last upfront, is they're presenting themselves as a an integral part of NBC Universal. And we're, I mean, regardless of whether you believe it's true or not true, or if it's compartmentalized, it doesn't matter. But they are really trying to position themselves like, look, there is this huge company that is behind us. We have cable properties, we have ton of things, and then we have channels in Spanish. And, and then guess yeah, it's what? It's a total we, market approach. Yeah. And that is, that is to me that what is most important Important, I would say, of of Telemundo, what Telemundo has been trying to do. But mind you, Telemundo's also been suffering its own layoffs and cuts and, and, and problems. You know, it started in Miami a few days ago. Uh, I think they are both, and, and not to mention the, the smaller ones, you know, the Azteca Americas and the CNN in Espanol. I mean, we don't even go there, but we're talking about the two largest Spanish language uh, networks. I think they are both, from what I saw this week, they are both struggling to try to stay relevant. Yes, if I, if I would, that, if anything, if there's a key takeaway, that's it. One thing, even though it's a big cliche, but it's still true that, that Football, and by football I mean soccer, it's mm -hmm. still very important. So having the FIFA rights, I think it's one of the things that's going to help Telemundo, at least for the near future. And they're going to have to put all their Yes and no. All their yes chips and no, here. because remember, uh, World Cup is a, it's the reason, it's the flagship event of a network. It's almost its identity. Correct. So having the world cup will definitely make it the most prestigious network out of the out of the two um but here's the problem though you can only sell soccer at least at that level only once every four years i know so what are you doing for three and a half years while you wait for the next world cup what kind of sports department do you have what kind of sports content and i think that's where univision has been really smart they said okay you got the world cup But how are you filling the time by the time the next World Cup comes in? And that's where we kick in. So right, and they have like the, big, that, the Mexican, La, La Liga, La Liga, La Liga Mexicana. Mexicana. And that, that, that is huge. I and mean, they just announced that there's uh, uh, the, the, the new MMA Hispanic company, Combate Americas, mm -hmm. uh, which is that brand new emerging sport that's challenging boxing as the number two sport for Hispanics. They just signed a deal, Univision just signed a deal with Combate Americas, which now makes them cool it makes them the millennial sort of sports network while everybody knows that no hispanic is going to watch the super bowl in spanish no yeah. one's going to watch golf in spanish or <laughs> hockey in spanish no one's going to watch uh the olympics in spanish is weird you know like because they have the winter olympics especially the winter olympics in right spanish. right right these are these are commodities these are sports commodities that don't really resonate with Hispanics. Unless you have a Mexican there, a skier who yeah, comes I know, the, in the, the one last... guy, the one skier, you know, <laughs> in the, in the whole... <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that. What did you think of the programming in itself? Oh, man, I mean, I, I, I 
Anything Honestly, catch I your attention? No. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, no. there's there's two shows. Everything, 90% of what they presented, I was, it just, once again, I'm Latino. Hablo Espanol Perfecto. My mom is from Colombia. I'm Latino. I'm not purely American. So I'm your target. And I'm sitting down and I'm listening to see what you got that I would watch, what I would tune in to watch, that I would stop watching my English-American language shows to go to Telemundo or to Univision to watch. And 85 to 90% of what they showed I wasn't interested in, except this one show called Tijuana. Oh, that's way, that's interesting. Go on. So Um, Tijuana, the whole premise about it is about journalism. It felt like this was and a great subject matter to tackle that no one has really tackled within a series or a movie, but in Spanish about Latino journalists. And it reminded me a lot of Spotlight, the movie that won the Oscar for Best Picture. I love that movie. You see, exactly. I am a Latina and I love that movie. So that's the one. <laughs> right. So I said, yeah. you know what? If you're going to offer things like that, then I'm definitely watching. So that's something that caught my attention. And then Telemundo has these two, they're calling it premier shows. I think they're acquisitions. One of them is called Falco, uh, which has a really interesting storyline. And the other one is El Recluso, which is a about a man that goes into jail undercover to try and save a son's a judge's son. And I thought these were really interesting things. The Falco one is about a guy that wakes up 23 years later. Yeah, it's a Falco. That sounds fun, actually. And but but again, fun. like you said, I think it, that's an acquisition. That's not one of these super series no. or original productions that they've been touting, you know? Right. Uh, and so the question is, if you have to go acquire something, something else, then no. what does that really say about your own production value and creativity to not be able to make hits on your own? I know Univision has been depending on Televisa forever and Televisa just, they, they got, something happened, 1994, the clock never pushed forward. You know, they're still t- <laughs> stuck 20 years ago. Right, they really right. haven't evolved in Televisa. Now they're starting to do something, but I think it's a little too late. It's too late and also Televisa, it's, it's, it's undergoing its own problem, you know? I mean, they were the main providers of content and like really, really profitable content, mostly telenovelas. But now Televisa <laughs> is it's undergoing its own, its own, you know, like what right. the hell are we right. doing? And so once again, the question is, how, why isn't the programming resonating? Why aren't executives and programmers creating content that suits English language Latinos in this, con- this country? You know, the real U.S. Hispanics. And that's something I wanted uh, to talk to you uh, about. I'm going to jump here because you want to hear something, something, and this is really, really effed up. So um, a friend of mine and I have been working, I would say, like for the past two years now, on and off, we started to come up with a show, right? Which is a show, which is a satirical show about the news. We started it during the debates, Hillary Clinton, um, Trump. We had like freaking good material. It was me writing. It was him uh, on camera. We're doing, we did a pilot, right? We did a pilot. We tried to shop the pilot. And I am not going to reveal the name of the executive, but a very top executive that we presented. Did you know what they say? And this is, I'm talking about Telemundo. This is great, but this is very risque. This is not for Latinos. This is not where you want to go. You should shop this to somewhere else. And then we're like, right. but, but where? God. Where? Right, because, you know, why, why don't we have a Colbert or a John Stewart um, in, 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 in Spanish or for the Latino market? Why? Why do we have to have Colberto, which to me was the best incarnation of the cliche of the Latino, done by Stephen Colbert and not by a, by a journalist or a journalist slash comedian? In, we took the show. They told us they thought it was freaking brilliant. And they say... This is too risque. This is not what we need for Latinos. So, All right, so I, I don't get it, man. Now, I mean, let me interject and let me tackle this situation about this isn't for Latinos, okay? I'm <laughs> sick and tired of a Latino telling a Latino what a Latino is, right? <laughs> it's right. like, dude, Laura is a Latina. Exactly. And, and, and I think that there's 
What makes a Latino in this country is no longer a clear distinction. It is an ambiguous complexity that I believe is rooted in, in emotion and, and in pride. And everyone interprets those traits completely differently. So I'm sick of this. I don't know who. Uh, please paint me a picture of what you think a Latino is because I'm a Latino. <laughs> and this is what I'm telling a black man, a white man, an Asian man, an Indian man. This, what you're seeing right now is a Latino. There was a show on, on your feet where Emilio Stefan tells an executive, this is what an American looks like. So this idea that white, blonde, blue-eyed is the only type of American is BS. Right. So right. what does a Latino then look like? Is it indigenous, you know, tomato picking, coffee bean picking Latinos? Is that who you think your viewer is? Because if that's what it is, I don't remember that, them having a Nielsen box carrying <laughs> around as you, you know, as you watch TV. Right. But you know so, what? A, this, was a, this was a few years ago. But you know what a source once told me? That the head, this was, this was a few years ago, I'm talking about six, seven years, that one of the, the top sales people at one of the two big Spanish language um, networks, he had a sign in his office that said, our market is the unacculturated, uneducated, Spanish preferred no. Latin. Yes, he had no. like a like a bullet. Um, no, 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 no. Te lo juro. Who was it? Who I was cannot, it, Laura? I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you. But I know, I know, I know, I know. You, you can start I speculating, just... but I was not. You know the saddest, the saddest wow, part. The saddest sad. part. I was not surprised at all by hearing that. And for example, when they tell me, "Oh yeah, but you're you're Latino, you're Mexican, or you're whatever," you don't understand because he has to be Latino for you. I was like, you know, when my favorite show is Jack Rico, my favorite show in the life of television is Seinfeld. And and what I mean, maybe because I live in New York, I identify myself with the New York experience, not mm -hmm. necessarily because I'm a Latina. But if you can combine something like that with something that tells your experience of having moved here from Mexico, not speaking the language properly or whatever, man, I'm jumping in, I'm buying it. But you know what? We Absolutely. tried. We tried. And people are like, it's too risque. We're not, we're, we were told this, the market is not ready for this. And then I said, when the hell is it going to be ready? I mean, when I'm 80, it's, it's it's very sad. Yeah, when you and think I think about it. I think that the biggest problem that the in the Hispanic media industry is suffering, I think, is a problem of the wrong management in place. Because after you read that Gizmodo article, they truly fault the ineptitude and the incompetence of the executive team. First of all, Univision is run by a lot of executives who are Latin Americans that think that the same cultural laws and opinions that apply in Mexico and Colombia are exactly the same ones that you need to apply within the United States of America. Second problem is that you have white Caucasian executives that think they're Latino selling Latino. <laughs> Here's the thing. I spoke to a, a, a university professor on journalism about this. He's Hispanic out of uh, uh, the, the West Coast of the United States. And he told me the following. The problem with a Caucasian executive running a foreign cultural company is that because they've never lived the experience of the culture, they depend on numbers, research, and stats to come up with a quote-unquote intuitive solution. And when you have someone that was born in this country that watches the programming, that understands and that can speak the language of the content, some intuition is created to be able to connect. And I think that that's the disconnect of Univision with the rest of Hispanics in this country is that they have not been able to connect the content to the consumer. Correct. That's the problem I think that the industry as a whole is facing. And for me, now that R Randy Falco is leaving, it gives me some hope that they'll hire the right person. And now I come to you and I ask you, what type of person? <laughs> that is funny because I'm, I'm convinced that Tony O'Connor is next in line. I mean, I might be, okay. I might be wrong. Listen. But I think she has been. I congratulate that it's a woman, but it should be a Hispanic woman. 
Right? But I don't know, Jack, because no, that and I think that's where you and I kind of maybe disagree. But to me, it's a little bit. It's it's complicated. We could be here forever, but it would be like. Like right now, my country, you know, Mexico, it's going to have a, a presidential election. It's, 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 it's happening this, this July. And then for a lot of people, it was like, oh, there is a woman. There's a woman running. Let's support the woman because we're women. No, I'm not supporting the woman. Thank God she dropped out of the race. But anyway, that's another story. But what I was saying is it's the disconnect, but it's also think about it. When Univision was actually connecting a lot and when it was making tons of money out of telenovelas, they still had a gringo on top. But they were... Who, you were talking about Perenchio? Uh, yeah. Well, Perenchio, Perenchio uh, had nothing to do with the programming or anything. This was a man that was playing golf, enjoying his billions of this, dollars, exactly. and the man in charge day to day was Ray Rodriguez. Ray Rodriguez. Yeah, but hold on. Ray Rodriguez. He was hiring the talent. Cuban, he was who is Cuban, he also, no, but listen, he also figured out that it was the telenovela that was going to make the money of Univision and was like that for years but and years and years. But 2018 is no longer 1998. coming from Mexico. Right. Had nothing to do with Latinos There's here. been a 20-year progress and evolution to the Hispanic in this country. Basicamente, the same people that were watching Univision in the Ray Rodriguez days had kids. And when those kids are now teenagers and in their 20s, they're like, um, yeah, that's my mom's programming. You were talking about, you were talking about um, the, the, the title of that Gizmodo article, right? Mm -hmm. The title was, Univision is a fucking mess. And, and we're going to say that word with all its, its, its uh, letters because that's what it was. But think about it. When Univision bought Gok the Gawker properties, right, after Gawker went bankrupt, this was the type of headlines and the type of content and the type of risque things that Gawker was, was doing. And Gawker, by the way, I was a super fan. I didn't need like a Hispanic Gawker, right? To be engaged. Gawker was pretty inclusive in many senses. Mm -hmm. If there was a moron being racist to Hispanics, like we saw this week, Gawker will cover, Gawker will get to the bottom of it. Gawker will talk about it. You know, it didn't need to be overtly Hispanic right. to make it attractive to people like us. It's just good content. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. It's just, it's just good content. You know, then everything else comes. Whether Fusion, it was a fail attempt. Yeah, because it was a cable channel. Okay, just put that good good content elsewhere. On the Tumblr, right. on Twitter, on right. whatever. And if it's good, people will come. Speaking about good but content. I wanted to ask you this. Do you think that we're ready as a Hispanic community uh, in America between the Latinos that live here? Do you think we're ready for an English language primetime novella about the Hispanic experience? No. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I am not. English is what unites us all. Okay. And hear me out. Hear me out, Lauda. Here's, here, here's what I think the problem is. Okay. More Hispanics are speaking English than ever before. In Spanish, there's, I think, a sense of morality from both networks that you need to preserve the language. But here's my problem with that mentality. United States is not a Spanish-language-speaking country. We have over 150 languages spoken in this country. Spanish right. is just one of them. The bulk, right. the, the, the main language that connects us all in the United States is English. You can't force a hip-hop Kanye West to speak Spanish, but you can speak to him in English. So J Balvin, Nicky Jam, every, Romeo Santos, everybody speaks English, and they collaborate to make great work. And I think that the language is, is limiting us. I think I think I think the problem with speaking Spanish and creating Spanish specific content is that it creates an echo chamber where we only speak to the same people over and over and over and we're not inclusive of white people, we're not inclusive of black people, we're not inclusive of any other language or any other race. And so we just talk to ourselves and how are we going to grow like that? How are we going to evolve like that? If you didn't include something else, you know, I want to see characters like an Indian, like a Chinese man, like America 
in Spanish language TV. But the problem is, is you want to create content. Then you that- have Mother Family. There's Mother Family, right? Okay. It's a sitcom. It's funny. You have yes. gay couples. You have a Latino. Yes. Where's the modern a- family in the Hispanic world? Whatever. People like it. People, I mean, I'm not a fan, but maybe I'm not also the target. But by the way, it's but- won like 10 Emmys. No. I know, but yeah. I mean, it gets very complicated. You want to know what I'm hooked on right now? I mean, and this probably will just have people not talk to me anymore. <laughs> but I'm hooked on this Luis Miguel series, right? It started almost like, okay, there, there you go. But there you go. It's, it's, it, I don't care. It's our generation. <laughs> I actually don't, don't like the guy so much, the actor. I mean, he's okay. He's okay. But man, I mean, I know those songs by heart. I knew those stories i was reading in the papers when i was growing up or when i was young i mean this is speaking to me i'm watching watching it on demand but i'm watching yeah and guess me too but guess what i mean it's netflix and this is telemundo and by the way tijuana you were talking about tijuana this is again a partnership between univision and netflix luis miguel la serie is netflix telemundo el chapo that did relatively well for Univision was a Netflix thing. So keep this in mind. I mean, where would these people be right now without this Netflix partnership? At least right now, Netflix has the money to, you know, to say, okay, we're going to go on to this. Y la creatividad. Netflix is the disruptor. So when they want to do a show... Exactly. They are the disruptive, not Univision. No, come on. So now you better... Like they say, it's, o te, unes a, ¿cómo es? te unes al enemigo, o como es? Si no te unes al enemigo, or whatever. So that's what they're doing, and they, they are smart by doing So that. just to it wrap up, me. Laura, I wanted to finalize this whole conversation with where do you, what do you think needs to happen? What things would you like to see in the next upfront to really make you feel oh, confident man, that this it. market, this awesome Hispanic media industry that we've come to love so much and that for us, it's too big to fail. So we're rooting for both of them to get their shit together. That way we can enjoy the the next great decade of what these two companies can create. What do you need to see? Univision and, and Telemundo also, but they do a really good job in, in terms of news, right? And it, this has to be addressed. And, and nobody has talked about news. Univision and Telemundo are very important as, as um, purveyors of, of, of Spanish language news that a lot of the times are very helpful, are very useless, they are useful. And uh, this is something that we must um, keep and treasure, right? Because nobody has done it as well as these people have. Not for nothing you have Jorge Ramos, Mariana Salinas, who's, who's gone, but they... I think they were a very important um, um, actors, you know, in informing Hispanics. I and I'm convinced of that. If they're so and great, I, then why do you think CNN Español hasn't taken off? Because they put Ñs everywhere. I cannot stand their logo with an Ñ. They just start by just calling it's it. It's 24 CNN hours, Español. seven days a week of nothing but Hispanic news. From every angle, from entertainment to politics to everything. And unfortunately, they, they don't grow. It's like no one talks about them. You were just saying it's basically ignored. I mean, as a journalist, and that's where my heart is, I don't want the news to die. And I want the, the Univisions of the world or even CNN in Espanol. The problem with CNN, I was watching it in Mexico. It just gets to be... It's like too heavy, you know. There was like an hour program I remember debating about some um, some law, but there was not. And Univision did a little, a really good, good job in um, when voting, for example, of, of making sure that Latinos that were eligible were registering to vote and they were voting and casting the regardless who you vote for, right? And yeah, I mean, you can argue, yeah. Journalists cannot be activists, but as both Jorge Ramos and Mariana Salinas have told me when I have interviewed them, they're like, okay, so if this is activism, to hell with it. We do it. Because it's important. Because nobody has been closer to Hispanics, or at least Spanish-speaking. That angers me. 
Because journalism isn't supposed no, to be but not activism. everybody can vote. Yo creo que el gran problema que a mí me afecta en particular is that I'm ignored as an audience member, as a viewer. That I don't count as a Latino. I'm being rejected by my own ethnicity. You're born in America. You speak English without an accent, which means that now you're going to be more American than you are going to be Hispanic. When did you start talking for me? That's not the case. I'm bicultural, bilingual, and I'm a 200 percenter. I live 100 American, 100 Latino. When Colombia plays in the World Cup against the United States, I put my Colombian casaca on. <laughs> so where were you born? Jack. Yo nací aquí en Nueva York, en Queens. Ah, tú eres, tú eres New Yorkino. Sí, soy New Yorkino, nacido aquí. Yo no aprendí español sino hasta, hasta que tenía los 15 años. Me mudé a Barranquilla. Me gradué del bachillerato allá. Toda mi familia sí, está sí, allá. That, Regreso very, acá. Trabajé very, en Univision por ocho años. Hablando solamente en español. And people here saw me as a Latino. Inmigrants or recent, relatively recent immigrants like myself, right? I I feel very foreign to the whole Latino experience, right? right? Because I've never felt like a Latina. People ask me, Do, are you a Latina? Like, I'm Mexican. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, no, no. But you consider Latina. And I don't, honestly, Jack, Latina is a generalization. I do not know what that means. And there is, there, is a, there is a survey out there. Look for it. Like, for the most part, the the immigrants would identify themselves by their countries of origin, never as a Latino. And the ones born here were identifying themselves as a Latino or a Hispanic. And this I'm not making any judgment. This is a fact. And I believe that that is true. I think our conversation, I mean, if you want to put it in the context of this podcast, mm -hmm. it has a lot to do with this with this thing that the, the networks are trying to figure right, out. Are they right. talking to it's you? Complex. Are they talking to me? It's very difficult. Are they talking to our imaginary child? Mm -hmm. Imagine, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's fucking difficult. It is. And that's why I think that uh, if right? you don't start kind of creating content for the U.S. Hispanic, the U.S. born Latino, that means your children and my children and the children of this generation's Hispanics, 20 years from now, There might not be a Univision because who's preserving it? Who's carrying the Correct. legacy of the language when you're born here and hip hop is the music you listen to? And I think that if your kids want to go and fight in the military for the United States as opposed to Mexico or Colombia or Argentina <laughs> or anywhere else, it's their hey. choice, right? And when they come yeah. back and you're Univision and Telemundo and you're uh, a Latino that went to war and came back Either and survived and you're ignoring them because they speak English and a little Spanish, I think that's wrong. How about we have Univision and Telemundo and everybody else listen to this podcast <laughs> and let them decide what the <laughs> hell to do because we, you and I cannot even agree on, on some things that are, that are fundamental. So that's part of their, I think part of their, their, that's the their beautiful conflict thing. No, right? Isn't it? It's a beautiful thing like, because through conversations, we can get some answers. And I think it's difficult for a company to try and figure Latinos out. Like I told you, we're ambiguous in 2018. A Latino, the, the, the clear definition of a Latino is a conundrum today. And so that's why I think that experiment, take risks, see what sticks on the wall, fail, fail, fail until things work. It's the only way they're going to get out of this. But what they can't do is do Soy Betty La Fea, New York City. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's Telemundo, yeah. right? It's coming yeah, back. It's like, I why know, are you bringing something back that was already on I ABC? Know. You know, I know. It, it, it's, and it's something that we've seen I, so many times. I, like, I, I, literally, I, literally, I literally tweeted that. I said, Telemundo is bringing back Betty La Fea because we have just run out it's of It's difficult. And, and, and that's the proposition of the United States. When you become a programmer in the United States... I think your responsibility is not to target 62% of the population and ignore the other 40%. Be better than that. Try and create content that's universal. Listen, this is the problem that movies go through all the time. Cuando hace una película de Tom Cruise or Fast and Furious, why does everybody go to it? And I feel that there is a dearth of content that speaks about the Hispanic U.S. experience. 
when they start creating content and they start casting white people and black people to be a part of that, I think I'll start watching. Porque, mira, esta es la cosa. They already have the Mexican community. They're going to tune in whether they like it or not because it's out of habit. How are you growing? I'm going to push the growth. If you create content for me, I'll watch English, but then I'll sneak in my Luis Miguel and whatever awesome U.S. Hispanic experience show that you have set up for me. We could be here forever, Jeffrey. <laughs> Laura Martinez. And hopefully we'll still talk to each other after this. <laughs> Laura Martinez, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Your blog is called Mi Blog Es Tu Blog. And if you can read um, many of your articles on CNET and Espanol, how's that going, by the way? We're doing great. It's just content that they might be comfortable reading in Spanish, which in this case is technology or pop culture. So it's doing really, really, doing really well. All right, I'm thanks, happy. Laura. Nos vemos. Gracias. I recently discovered this brand of underwear called Saks. That's spelled S-A-X-X. And I'm not kidding. The best pair of underwear I've ever worn, bar none. You know, a lot of us guys don't realize that quality is important down there. We just put on whatever our wives pick up for us or we buy on sale somewhere. There's not enough thought put into men's underwear, which is why when I tried Saks for the first time, it changed my whole outlook on men's underwear. Here's the thing about Saks underwear. They actually care about the design of our anatomy. They're so comfortable and supportive. They look luxe and feel so smooth. It feels like... You're going commando, believe it or not. Best part is that there's absolutely no friction whatsoever because of their distinctive design called the ballpark pouch. My favorites are the Vibe trunks, no question about it. They have a nice modern fit, giving you a soft-fitted hug right around your upper thighs. So because you'll thank me profusely for turning you on to this must-have underwear, I've arranged for you to get $5 off your first purchase of Saks underwear, plus free shipping. Just use my promo code Highly relevant. That's highly relevant, and it's only for a limited time. So go ahead, order a few pairs of Saks underwear. Go to Saks underwear at s a x x underwear.com and use the promo code Highly Relevant. That's Saks with two X's. And remember again, Saks underwear.com promo code Highly Relevant. You're gonna thank me after your first wear. It's time for a recap of the week's top stories in movies, TV, music, and digital and social media in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. The movie rights to Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights has landed at Warner Brothers. Eugenio Derbez will star in a remake of the French comedy The Valet. Cuban actor Bobby Cannavale will star in Once Upon a Time in Staten Island. Steven Spielberg and Leonardo DiCaprio are teaming up again for a Ulysses S. Grant biopic. And Maya Cinemas is building theaters for underdeserved Latino moviegoers in California. In TV news, Magnum P.I. has been greenlit by CBS with the Latino actor Jay Hernandez playing Magnum. ABC has picked up the Latino Miami drama Grand Hotel. CW confirms that Jane the Virgin will have its final season next year. Amazon has greenlit a Diego Maradona soccer drama. Mad About You might have a revival at CBS. And the new CEO of Fox News is a woman. Switching over to music, 10-time Grammy-winning jazz icon Arturo Sandoval releases Ultimate Duet with Stevie Wonder, Ariana Grande, Pharrell Williams, Juan Luis Guerra, and Prince Royce, just to name a few. Jay Balvin performed with former One Direction Liam Payne on Good Morning America and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Jennifer Lopez releases bilingual track Dinero with DJ Khaled and Cardi B. And speaking of Cardi B, she deleted her Instagram account. And in digital and social media news, Apple is working on a wearable glass headset much like Snapchat Spectacles. YouTube will introduce a music service May 22nd that will help it take on Spotify and Apple Music. Twitter is expecting their engagement to soar during the World Cup. Instagram will soon let you know just how much time you spend on it. And Facebook's working on a platform to connect marketers with influencers. You're no hero. You're just a clown. Dressed up as a toy. So dark. You sure you're not from the DC Universe? Mike Sargent is on the line, and he's here to talk about Deadpool 2 with me. I had a chance to see it last night, Mike. Um, and it was this... It's interesting because I had never been to this theater before. It's called the Alamo Draft House. It's in Brooklyn. They've been talking about doing one in the city in Manhattan for quite some time. But 
they decided to choose Brooklyn, which is basically Manhattan at this point. And it was inside a mall that I had never been to. I had never even heard of it. And it was on the fourth floor and I walk in. It, it was beautiful. There's like a house of wax inside and there were people dressed in 1920s outfits. And then when I walk into the theater, I think it's the best theater I've ever been to in my life. They had these amazing reclinable chairs. Uh, they had these, they had waiters serve us where you would write on a notepad what you wanted from the menu, put it in front of your seat. Somebody would pick up, pick it up, and then come back with the food like 10, 15 minutes later. And I ordered anything. It was free and everything. And it was an invitation from a company called Espolon that I found out later on it was a tequila. And I guess this company is trying to bring out as many, you know, film critics and journalists and uh, people in the media to kind of promote the the tequila thing. And dude, they they had everything there, and everything was for free. And I said to myself, "This is incredible." So I ordered twice, and they were like, "Fine, you can keep on ordering." <laughs> and it, it was it was this incredible experience. I have to say, well, have you been to anything like that before? Uh, well, you know, it's funny. Yes, I actually have. I've been to, and I think I went to what was called the original Alamo House because they're a chain. But I also think it's a future of film going. I think, you know, if you can, if you have a home system, if you've got a nice, and I'm pretty sure you have a screening room. Yeah. And, and if you've got a screening room and you've got it set up and you can relax and you can eat your popcorn, you can pause a movie, like how, what's going to get you, if you're not, uh, a, a critic, what's going to get you into the movie theater? Especially if you have the money to pay, but why go if you've got a great home theater? you got to have this kind of a setup. And I think it's going back to what we talked about on the last show, where movie going has has to be an experience. It, it yes. always, at its, yes. at its heart, it always has been, but in today's, you know, all the things we have and the ways in which we consume you know, content uh, and all the stimulation and everything that's out there to compete with a movie, you have to really up the ante. You so have to I'm, give them what it. they're getting at home. Absolutely. No, I, more, than, more than they're getting at home because I don't have anybody serving me at home. Right. So, okay. Well, that's right. So <laughs> the whole experience for me was free. But a friend of mine who said that there was even a better theater than the Alamo Draft House called the IPEC that is in uh, the former South Street Seaport. Um, they built a theater there, and he said that they had something like confined rooms. They call it premier seating. He spent, he told me, about $150. And he took his girl out, uh, $150. But he wow. said that the menu wasn't like, you know, beef tacos. It was like pasta. And I said, wow. Okay, so $150. So let, let's just say that the that, that type of movie theater is about $25 to 30 bucks. Right, just that's twenty-five. That's between fifty and sixty bucks right off the bat, and then you spend on the food, but then the drinks as well. Um, and all this is happening, so you're basically having dinner and a movie together at the same time within the span of two hours, where it would have been like four hours. Watch, maybe you go to eat dinner first, spend an hour, an hour and a half, and then you go to the movie theater. That's two, maybe two and a half hours, depending on the movie. You could be out for four or five hours. Here, you had dinner and a movie within the span of two hours, 150 bucks, which is typically what it would have cost you anywhere else. But, I mean, sans the restaurant, and maybe it's a really cool restaurant. Uh, and then you go home. And th that's a night out. That's a night out. Exactly. Well, And, and again, like I, uh, like, like I said, I think then that makes it worth the money you're having to spend where you feel like, okay, it's not like the same where, you know, you spending whatever 15, 20 bucks on a ticket and they're throwing advertisements at you. And, you know, there's an ad on your ticket. There's an ad on your popcorn. There's an, you know, there's an, it, you're sitting through commercials and it's like, wow, I, I, I don't feel like I'm really getting my money's worth unless you're seeing it in IMAX 3d. So let's talk a little bit about the movie itself. Deadpool two. I like the movie, Mike. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this experience. What was your take on it? Well, two things, just to give you a little context. One, I think uh, that Deadpool as a comic, the original source material, couldn't have existed if we didn't have decades of comics and know all the comic tropes. So mm. Deadpool, by the time it came along two years ago, 
uh, it could rely on the fact that there were all these tropes about comic book movies that we knew. So the comic was always self-aware. It knew it was a comic book. And the movie is self-aware. It knows it's a movie. It knows it's a superhero movie. It knows that ridiculous things are going to happen. And, and there's certain tropes it's going to fall, fall into. And that's when he breaks the fourth wall, which is great. So I thought the first movie was great. But I thought this movie actually was even better because we didn't have to waste time. I don't know about that. Ah, well, you, know, you can tell me. I, I, I have to say, I if it wasn't better, I think it was just as good for me. Okay. You know, okay. What value do you give originality and freshness in a Hollywood film? Well, you know, I, again, I have to give you context to that. You know, I think... The well, the reason time, I asked, before you yeah, answer, the reason I asked sure. is because I think it lacked it. And Deadpool 1, when we first saw it, it was the most different superhero movie ever made at that moment. There was no mo no superhero movie like it. And I think it reveled in that. And I think it made it automatically the coolest superhero movie ever made. And it reflected in the box office. Highest rated R-grossing comedy in history over um, that Bradley Cooper movie, The Hangover. So, uh, Not only that, it's also the biggest X-Men movie. It made $783 million. Right. So, I mean, but it's not a real X-Men movie. Not a real X-Men movie, no. <laughs> so um, I wouldn't necessarily qualify it like that, but definitely it has those X-Men elements. But th th this guy lives on his own. It, there's, a, there's a Deadpool universe, you know? And so in this universe, I felt like as, when I first saw it, I was watching something completely different, completely unpredictable, unexpected, shocking, surprising, and absolutely clever and funny. I don't know what else to say. It's it's close to a masterpiece within its genre as it gets. And so when when I heard that Deadpool 2 was coming out, I said, oh man, the problem with movies like this is that it could go two ways. It could try and reinvent itself within a year or two or B, stretch out that first part and make it seem like a direct continuation of it, which is giving us the same thing. But two years later, and that's exactly what happened. It lacked freshness. It no longer felt groundbreaking. You know, I, I, I hear where you're coming from, and I agree that it's not fresh in that sense. Like, like I've never seen this before. He's breaking the fourth wall. I've never seen this before. He knows what he's doing. But I think, you know, if you're going to do a sequel, there's no way, and, and that's the, 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 the space you're moving in, there's no way that that part's got to be fresh. At this point, a, what makes a good sequel to me is not repeating itself, which I, I didn't really feel it did. As a matter of fact, I thought it toned down some of the fourth wall breakthrough stuff. But I thought that it, it now continues these, the story of these characters who we liked. Like, uh, nobody expected Dopinder to come back. I mean, you know, he was <laughs> like, why? But, but I think that what, for me, what this movie did is, is what kept it fresh for me was that it kept... Uh, doing things I didn't expect to happen. It would do things that you could never get away with in a movie. And, uh, you know, in a superhero movie, uh, killing off characters instantly, and th things like that. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was because I kind of went in knowing what it was. Now, prior to seeing the movie, did you see any trailers for Deadpool 2? Yes. Now, you see, I didn't watch any trailers. Uh, wait, so, so what, what, what do you, what's your contention? That, that contention the trailers... That my contention is this is just me as a film critic, and I think I would give this advice to anybody who loves a movie. You love a movie, you want to see something, the less you know, the better. Because every giveaway that's probably in the trailer that I didn't see were all surprises to me because I didn't know about Peter. I didn't know about, uh, you know, I, I, I knew some stuff that I'd read because I had to somewhat know what's coming out and i knew who was in it and who the characters were but i had no idea about the story no idea what's going to happen because that's how i like to experience the movie so perhaps you know again as a film critic in my opinion or a avid moviegoer when you watch a trailer you you understand the language of film so well that you you already can get a lot of the right movie. but wouldn't wouldn't i mean i'd argue that the trailer is extremely important because it's the bait to watch the movie. Trailers are important. I just feel that they are too spoiler-friendly these days. I feel they give away too much. I like teaser trailers. 
teaser trailer. Right. That's enough. I, th- that's just me. All right, all right, so, all right. I'll, I'll I, give you that. I, I'll give you that. That's that's my reasoning for why it didn't seem as fresh to you, besides the fact that you know it's well, like lethal, uh, to lethal me, weapon too. Right. I'm not gonna fault the trailer for not making it feel fresh to me. I'm gonna give and completely put the fault on the fact that I saw one of the best superhero movies for me uh, that's been put out in the last ten years, and. Because of that wit, because of that cleverness, because of that sense of originality within the genre, uh, that newness to it, that novelty, that as soon as you extended it here, it just at some point, it felt like you were squeezing the milk out of the cow. Two things. I think that uh, Ryan Reynolds has gone out of his way, I think, to not repeat himself too much. And, and and especially with what he's talking about, that there'll be no more Deadpool movies. It's got to be group movies. And I think that essentially, you know, this movie was, like you said, it's mocking the darkness of DC and certain aspects of the Marvel universe. But at the same time, it's also mocking the whole idea of pulling a team together, which has become another trope in superhero movies as we started to see the super team, the justice league and the Avengers. Movies. It's happening in sports too. You know, you got the right. big three. Now it's like the big five. It's right. And I think he was making fun of that. And I think he does it very well. I don't want to give away anything about the film, but, but I enjoyed all of that. As a matter of fact, all the way up until the last few moments, there's some great, great, what I like that he was not only self, the comic is the, the Deadpool is not only self-aware, of it being a comic book movie. It's also self-aware that Ryan Reynolds is a star, and it's also self-aware of Ryan Reynolds' career, which I thought was pretty brilliant. Right, and and it's brilliant because of the following reason. Here's one of the great purposes uh, and functions of the fourth wall, in my opinion. Number one, it's that I think more than anything else, it is a binding tool that connects the character to the audience. Why? Because the character within the film is thinking exactly what the audience is thinking. All that self-awareness, I think, is one of the key purposes of this fourth breaking the fourth wall and why I think that when it's properly used, it is brilliant. Uh, for me, I wasn't looking for this to be fresh in that, yes, it had already been done before. What I was looking to see is, can we take it somewhere unexpected? Can we keep up the momentum, which is what I was surprised. It kept up a certain momentum. You know, you said there were some drawn out sequences and maybe it's the, 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 you know, there's a, there's a romance that's being built there and it's kind of the heart of the film, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which I didn't mind. You know, I, I felt like I knew why it was there. Uh, it wasn't the best part of the movie, but it definitely helped. And it also, I feel like this is sort of, this, this is Ryan Reynolds. This is who he is. He was born to do this role. He was born to play this character. Because it's, it's it custom-made to his sense it's custom of made, right. humor. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, there are a few times in film where actors' career, their charisma, their sensibilities... Matches works, the character. Matches the character. It matches it. And, 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 and it becomes... The best thing they ever did. Oh, absolutely! Because it's so it's so much them. Yes. So, and I think for for Ryan Reynolds, this is it. I mean, he he Ryan Reynolds is one of these actors who's been around a long time, and he's, he's been, been given a lot a of chances. Time. He's been given a lot of chances, and they work. And then finally, when he's in control, he has his biggest hit. And I think there's no mistake to that. I mean, I would love to have been a fly on the wall when he and the other director what they didn't agree on, because I I don't think he made too many false steps in this. I don't know what you think, but I think if this was his vision, I can see why where he's going and why he's doing it. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think that a lot of studios, what they need to start doing now is giving actors or lead stars the creative freedom to create their own projects. Absolutely. And I think we're seeing that because, you know, what was the problem? Why didn't Ryan Reynolds click? Why wouldn't he become like an A-list star? And why did most of his movies, you know, just kind of flop? Here's why. Because he's trying to inhabit somebody else's vision, right? And you can't always hit a home run with them. He's had a couple of movies that, that did fairly well, but most right. of the or, stuff... Or, or, they'll, or, they'll, or they'll, shape, they'll shape a character to really work within their, their, their strengths and, 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 and take it to another level. Because, you know, the other thing 
about Ryan Reynolds here, and and this is one of the th- great things about being a movie lover, uh, is that you know when you do have a history of a of a actor, and you know that actor's history, they 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 bring a certain gravitas. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Unforgiven could never have been what it was if Clint Eastwood didn't have the career he had. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and like you said, you know, when you give an actor, but it, and it's got to be a specific actor, an actor who's really a storyteller, who really understands and knows who they are. Like, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, for example. You know, this is a man that yes. isn't necessarily Absolutely. being hired by every director because of his prowess as a thespian. Um, yep. This is a man that understands that he has challenges and that he needs to create his own stories in order to make it in this business, the thing is, he's happened to create two masterpieces, you know, and th- there's many other people like that that have created their own. St- I mean, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck had to create their own vehicle because no to one get, would give him work. Get, to get to get the hit that they had. I, I agree with you. Even Jordan Peele, he, he's Eggs. been offered a lot of oh, stuff. There you go. There you go. And Perfect. He, he says he just wants to do his own stuff. He wants to do original stuff. And that makes a lot of and sense. Eugenio did the best. We were just talking about this the other day. He's not being hired by Hollywood. But, you know, David Fincher isn't calling Eugenio the best to be in a film. Exactly, exactly. So he creates his own film. So that, you know, there's a Latino, there's an African-American. And I think that that's the way to go. I think people have gotten to the point, it's like, you know, enough is enough. You know, we're always being told no. But technology has gotten to a point that you can go out and rent a red camera. And have a bunch of, you know, NYU Tisch students come out on a summer day, shoot a movie. And then put it out on YouTube, and there you go. There's your MGM Studios right there. It's not every actor who can know their strengths, play to their strengths, and take it. You know, I have to say there are a few actresses who do it. Sandra Bullock, you know, the material she chooses for herself generally, even if I don't like it, she knows what works for her. She's produced most of her own hits. She has. You know, Barbara Streisand, who I feel Sandra Bullock is kind of a, a newer version of, even though she's kind of getting Interesting. up there Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I never listen, saw you, those parallels, but yeah. Well, you, you watch the last 15 years of Sandra Bullock, and you realize she is doing what Barbara Streisand used to do as the character. And and she again, she was smart enough. You look at, all the, you look at the producer in all her films. From the time she started producing films, almost all of the ones she produced were a hit. The ones she didn't produce... It was more hit and miss. I had never seen it like that, but you know, the uh, in this movie there were references to Barbara Streisand, <laughs> which, by the yes, way, they were. Dude, yes, there, they were. there was a lot of '70s references. You know, one of them was the soundtrack. Absolutely, oldies music is kind of making a comeback in these contemporary superhero films. Why do you think that is? Well, I think uh, it's an interesting. I think largely it's because of the age of the directors and the writers. You know. You know, the nostalgia got, factor. There's a nostalgia factor. Uh, I think that also, again, in every 20 years, we celebrate the years 20. Right now, everybody's talking about the 90s, okay? But in the 90s, when when these guys were young, everybody was talking about the 70s. Right. So, the you know, the, you, you, in the 90s, we had that 70s show, okay? In, in the 70s, we had... The, the happy days, you know, and so I think that that this is kind of a retro of a retro where it's like this is what they grew up on retro. And, so these and, are again, winks. These are winks is winks. Kind of, like, yes. Wink, winks to like who how these people like these are the things that made me who I am. So I'm going to put it in there. Wow. That's my take. You know what? Does that, that, makes, that, that makes total sense. Because I was wondering why this is starting to become like, okay, is this becoming like a thing where we're going to see more movies use these, you know, 70s, 80s type soundtracks? Uh, so I thought it was interesting. And I thought it, it did great because the contrast of like Celine Dion with a violent right. Deadpool, you know, beheading, you know? Right. I think this is a movie for people... If you enjoy Deadpool, you'll you'll almost certainly like Deadpool 2, but maybe not as much as the first one. You're telling me that your bottom line is that it's better than the first one. Coming back to what you said, you know, I enjoy the diversity of the film in terms of characters. You know, you've got a Brazilian actress as the lead. You know, you've got, you know, uh, Zazie Beetz 
who, who you know, as Domino, you know, you've got, uh, you know, a Terry Crews, you know, you've got a, kind of a, 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 a lesbian a plot line, superheroes, a, a, not only a lesbian plot line. And then she has an Asian girlfriend, you know? Yeah, so that's I right. Think there, there are a lot of things that just work. But what I like is that they're just part of the universe. They, they reflect our world. In, in a way, like every superhero would not be the same. You know, we would have uh, a, this type of that type of, uh, 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 you know, a Russian, uh, uh, you know, or a goth teenager. All these things kind of, in, in my opinion, I think it's more representative of the fans of comic book movies. Hmm. That's my take. Does that make any sense? Mike Sargent. You can see him on Fox News, PBS, hear him on WBII Radio here in New York City. And you can uh, follow him and talk to him, reach out to him via Twitter on Mike on Screen. Mike. That's me. Thanks so much for, uh, for talking, man. Thank you. All right, buddy. Every week, I share some new tracks I've discovered. Here are three you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Sangria Wine, Pharrell Williams featuring Camila Cabello. Fall in Line, Christina Aguilera featuring Demi Lovato. Dinero, Jennifer Lopez featuring DJ Khaled and Cardi B. And that's it for episode 77 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Laura Martinez and Mike Sargent for hanging out with me. And I hope you guys dug these conversations as well. If you like this podcast, please share, retweet, and recommend our show on your social media platforms. Remember, it's through your word of mouth that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.